Artificial intelligence is the ability of a computer program or a machine to think and learn. It is also a field of study which tries to make computers smart. They work on their own without being encoded with commands. John McCarthy came up with the name artificial intelligence since in 1955. You wouldn't understand that, would you, Spock? You see, I feel sorrier for you than I do for him. Because you'll never know the things that love can drive a man to. The ecstasies, the miseries, the broken rules, the desperate chances, the glorious failures, the glorious victories. All of these things you'll never know, simply because the word love isn't written into your book. Good night, Spock. Good night, Doctor. Oh, let's talk about something else, okay? Like cruise missiles. You know that cruise missiles are a kind of robot. I would love to like remotely control a cruise missile, to explore the world at a really high altitude, but of course the only problem is that cruise missiles are kind of menacing, like with the nuclear warheads and such, so I guess I would fill their nose cones with flowers and band-aids or something, you know like, little notes about the importance of tolerance and understanding, so that when I fly the missiles into other countries, it's less threatening than a nuclear blast. But of course if I was able to hack in and take over cruise missiles with real-live nuclear warheads, then that would let me hold the world hostage so I could take over the governance of the entire world, which would be awesome. Chicken pot, chicken pot, chicken pot pie! Well, in case you didn't notice, the air quality index here is zero, and this is the most important week in all of history. I'm Dave. From the land of air quality, which is 69, the number itself isn't all that bad, but uh, it's in the moderate range, I'm Rod. And you're back. I you am disappeared back. on me. Secret mission and all. Top secret mission. You wouldn't even tell me where you went. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I kind of did at one point, but I, it, wasn't, it was more of a by-the-way type of thing. So I didn't go anywhere. I honestly did not go anywhere. It was so secret that my oldest was coming up to visit before she leaves the, the great state of California. Oh, that's right. You did tell me that, didn't you? I did, yeah. See, I, I it's like I told Tim. I, he probably told me, but <laughs> I just kind of I heard that. Through. I was laughing when I heard that. <laughs> that's so me. Oh, well. Well, it is the most important week in history. You knew that. I did. I did not wake up this week thinking that. Well, it, I mean, when you consider what went on this week yeah. in American history, I mean, I was born and you were born. How much more well, important could the week be? That's true. It, it was a, it's a great week. Although, as I said to you earlier this morning, when you start thinking about how that happened, it does get a little creepy, doesn't it? Merry Christmas. <laughs> that's, what I told, that's what I tell Ben all the time. He says, do you like Halloween, Dad? I said, yeah, I got great Halloween memories. My son, born in July. <laughs> that, so was, uh, that was... That uh, was... <clears throat> so our daughters had gone trick-or-treat you don't care but my daughters had gone trick-or-treating that night and so we had the house to ourselves right. for a while <laughs> that's the, rather than handing out candy yeah and it's better than thinking about my parents at christmas time huh yeah true <laughs> maybe it's cold out so that's a great song but it did lead to two of the greatest moments in history rod's birthday was uh the 16th and mine yep. was the 20th so we celebrate the greatest week in American history. Well, and Alex, too. 
That's true. Right. Alex was born. And, and your mom? And my mother. Well, that really I don't want to think about. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas, Dave. Yeah. Crap. <laughs> well, there you go. So what are you going to do? Well, we've been watching what's happening in the world. And I uh, we're going to get to this a little bit in the binge later on. I didn't watch a lot of shows. I watched one show multiple times. I don't I guess know that what that counts as a binge. Does it count as a binge? Um, you know, hey, we can make that a rule. Okay. Well, there, there's a lot in that show that I want to get into, but I don't know if we're, I don't, some of it will play into what we're doing. Some of it won't. And we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. Thanks again to Tim Preuss for sitting in last week, even though yes, I actually you, didn't know where Rod was, as it turns out. Awesome. Awesome job, Tim. Yeah. He saw, he thought your beer tasted really good. Okay. Yeah, I did good. not taste it. No. Oh, yeah, yeah. I actually did. It was good. Well, there you go. So most of you uh, may know this, may not know this. I'm actually a seminary graduate. I know you don't. It's like when I say I used to be a mighty athlete. Yeah. <laughs> People look at me now and go, yeah, right. Uh, but it's true. I once was. Um, I did go to seminary. People look at me now and go, what? Uh, and, but it's true. I did. Yeah. I don't even go to seminary, but you're pretty... You're pretty involved in faith. Yeah, I am. I've been raised in, in various churches growing up. When you, My dad went to seminary. Well, that counts. Yeah. Mine did not. So there were opposites, see? Yeah. <laughs> kind of approach to When you look at your faith in broad terms, I don't want to get into specifics, but when you look at your faith in broad terms, do you consider your faith woke or unwoke? Hmm. Well, so, I mean, I guess it de- in broad terms, I would have to say it depends on how you find define woke. So not in the current context of wokeness, but in the, con- in the confines of the faith itself. Right. I-, I would say that they come across as woke. Would you consider your particular faith, and I'm not even asking you to tell me what it is, would you consider that to be... Um, Conservative, liberal, or orthodox? Uh, it's conservative, definitely. Okay. What, in your experience, we were both, you know, we're, we're not quite yeah. the same age, but we're roughly the same age. And I grew up in a Christian faith that when I was born into it was very, very conservative, mm-hmm. almost orthodox. The only reason we wouldn't be considered orthodox was because uh, the Salvation Army rejects philosophically and doctrinally uh, some of the sacraments. Okay. For what are considered to be valid reasons, I think valid reasons, but because they didn't accept the sacraments of baptism and the Eucharist, um, they were kind of, you know, looked down upon by the Church of England. Which yeah. everybody was. I mean, if you weren't Church of England, you cake or sure. death kind of approach to things. So, yeah. um, but I have watched through the years, Rod, 57 years now, I have watched my traditional faith, my faith tradition, my family faith tradition. And believe me, we're talking about five generations here of, okay. of Bowman's being involved with this. So I have watched that go from what I would consider to be hyper-conservative, was once defined as the largest temperance organization in the world. Sure. 
my dad still votes for the prohibitionist party when he can. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm not making that up. He still does. I have watched that faith go from hardline conservative to jeans and t-shirts and sandals and $80,000 sound systems and worship bands and that sort of thing in my time. And I, I'm, I'm stunned by that. And people have often said to me, how do you explain this? And I look at them and go, I'm Jewish. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Well, I I was raised, uh, in the Methodist church. So my dad was actually our music director at the mo- in many churches that we had gone through as we moved from the Bay area to the Valley. And, and, uh, so I was raised that way. And then in my young adult years, I ended up uh, through friends at work, I started going to more of an evangelical, uh, churches at that point and took on, you know, the, the church that I recently attended is a non-denominational evangelical church. Um, but, uh, so that's been kind of my background. But it's the same type of thing where, you know, we used to dress up for Sunday and now, you know, it's slowly, even in the evangelical church, we used to actually dress up for Sunday and then it slowly got to jeans and now shorts are okay and flip flops. (laughs) It was hard for me because I, not only did I come out of the military, but the Salvation Army, you may or may not know this, but if if you do, great. But it it prides itself on being a quasi-military organization based yeah. on Victorian England. Okay. okay. So I, I didn't know the Victorian England part. Oh, yeah. It was founded in 1865 okay. by a guy by the name of William Booth, who was a card-carrying chartist, okay. which would be the same today as saying he's a card-carrying commie. Yeah. Okay. So there's some interesting elements to the founding of the Salvation Army that people in the Salvation Army don't like to talk about. Okay. Because... <laughs> He was also he was also heavily 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 into alchemy, but put that aside for the moment. But oh, there aren't problems with that, Dave. Come on. <laughs> well, I, so when I went to seminary training school, when I became an officer, I was in the Southern Territory of the United States, which is the most conservative of the of the four territories in the United States, considered to be. Yeah. Went to visit my dad one year in the summertime, and my dad, who was a Salvation Army officer in Denver, Colorado, at the time the Western Territory, which is generally considered to be not the most conservative. <laughs> you know, it's kind of the Western frontier of things, you know, oh, it's yeah. sort of out there. So he says to me one morning, what you doing? Nothing. Why don't you come with me to the, to the city command meeting at divisional headquarters? I'm like, Dad, I can't go to that. I didn't bring my uniform. I didn't bring my uniform. I can't go to DHQ not in uniform. And he looked at me and laughed. He said, don't worry about it. And we get down there, and of course, these officers, these fellow Salvation Army officers, are in blue jeans, T-shirt, at divisional headquarters, Rod. <laughs> Sneakers. One guy's got a freaking feather hanging from his ear. Wow. And I'm, that's about the point I went apoplectic. I was what the heck is going on here? How did this church that was so conservative become so... And we didn't have the term then, but become so woke, I guess, in yeah. the broad spectrum of things, which is this loose definition of things is we've become willing to accept less 
discipline, less uh, formality, and replace it with more, wait for it, tolerance. Yeah. How did that happen? When did that start? Um, I think it's been going around. I mean, it's been increasingly for some time now. I think probably the 60s and the 60s generation probably started a lot of that. It just didn't. It's taken some time to filter into the general churches and organizations. And Has it mirrored yeah. society in, in general? In, in general. It's probably exponentially happened with social media. Which is kind of where I was going with this, is that yeah. it really, a lot of this stuff has really taken off in the last 15 to 20 years, where not just the internet, which was available in the early 80s, mid 80s, but really with social media, it has become commonplace. And now this, this concept yeah. of wokeness has spread to the point where it in an effect has become a replacement for religious faith in many ways. Yes. Whereas the church would say, you're a sinner. Wokeness would say, you're a racist. That's exactly right. Which then requires some action on your part to expi expunge or expiate this perceived the original sin. sin, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's almost a doctrine. Then it, it I, is. It, you, you get this wokeness idea here that you're doing it wrong. Yeah, which I grew up in the late '60s, early '70s, as I recall, was part of the problem people had with religion was, hey, man. Don't put all that heavy weight on me. Yeah. <laughs> but now that same attitude is going, hey, man, put all that heavy weight on me and I will become anti-racist. I will do whatever it takes to expunge that and become woke. Yeah. Which is kind of a word that's replaced, saved, I suppose, in many ways. In a way, yeah. Are you woke? No, I'm not. Well, let me tell you about wokeness. Yeah. Let me tell you about you're a filthy sinner, you're a filthy heathen, and we need uh, we need to fix that for you. And only the power of wokeness can do this for you. Oh yeah. It's it's us or the highway. Does that scare you? It does. Why? It does. Well, because there's there's almost no rational thought. It's more of a feeling-based type of thing where it's, you know, we're, they're looking for oppression everywhere, even where it doesn't exist. And everything is, is about oppression. And if And you're guilty of that oppression, whether you know it or not, you're guilty of it. But couldn't you make that same argument about religious faith? You're guilty just by the fact that you were born and so, therefore, you must do as we say in order to be found not guilty. But you're not even found not guilty in the wokeness. It's, it's not a matter. It is like you're a constant state of being a racist. You're in the, you know, it's, there's no way of getting out of that. 
you have to renounce your racist ways and try and fight against racism. But there's no there's no where, point where you achieve. Okay, I'm no longer a racist. Ta-da. Okay, but there's, but you and I are both raised Methodists. So for the rest of yes. you Baptists and Calvinists, this doesn't really apply to you. But for those of us who were raised in a generally Methodist Wesleyan and Arminian theology, yeah. isn't that the same thing? I mean, we have to have this constant renewal of the Holy Spirit in order to remain holy. And if we don't, then we, what's the term we use? Backslide yeah. into a state of, of sin again. So we're constantly, I mean, I don't know about your church, but my church drove me nuts when I was growing up because every freaking meeting ended with a, almost said a bad word, a 30 minute, 20 to 30 minute altar call. Come get yeah. saved. Make sure you're saved. Make sure, can you feel the spirit moving? Nonsense. Yeah. D- didn't we have the same thing? Um. I'm trying to think back to the to the Methodist days. I, I know in the evangelical sense, it was it's a more of a once saved, always saved type of mentality. So yeah, you can backslide, but you're still considered quote unquote saved. So okay, once I once I renounce racism, am I always anti racist? No. It, you have to maintain that. You have to keep doing that. Well, don't but you have to do something to stay safe, Mr. Evangelical? Don't you have to? I mean, you can't go out and kill somebody and still be saved, right? Uh, well, technically, yeah, because Jesus paid the paid the price once for all. Well, then why bother? See, I mean, <laughs> this is my problem with this yeah, yeah. philosophy. Yeah. It's okay. Jesus yeah. saved me when I was six years old. What that means, I can basically be a hedonist the rest of my life because it's already done. Well, and, and so the evangelical conundrum is, well, maybe you weren't saved back then, exactly. right? I mean, that, that's what they, that's, that's the woke element of it. See, how yeah. do we really know that you're anti-racist? How do we really know that you're woke? Because you haven't done anything today to prove that you're woke. Yeah. So what are you going to do today that is sufficient to show that you are wokeness Woke, wokeified, wokeation. I'm looking for the right Woke. wokened, wokeified, <laughs> wokeified works. You're sufficient wokeified. to show you're wokeified to be pure for the faith today, knowing yeah. full well that tomorrow that's not going to be good enough. You're going to have to do something else. Well, but not only that, you can't self determine that for yourself in the woke religion. Can you it's determine it for yourself in 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 religious faith? Well, yeah, in in the evangelical sense, yes. I mean, it's it's your personal relationship with with Jesus, right? Judged so by who? Yourself. Okay, are you telling me? And and I'm going to get personal here. You don't you don't sit in your church every now and then and look around that room, going, "Hey, I know what that guy was doing the other day." Um, I know I know everybody does because I used to do that. Well, I, I know, walked I, out I, of services because I knew what the guy that was up front crying and praying on Sunday was doing on Monday and Tuesday, and I just couldn't stomach it anymore. Yeah, well, it's different when you're dealing with leadership versus people sitting in the congregation. Leadership, there's an expectation that you're gonna you're gonna practice what you preach. How does that how does that transfer then into wokeness? 
so <sighs> you see what I'm driving out here the, the the problem is in in a faith-based life how do you demonstrate that faith-based life well from a new testament standpoint you're going to have the fruits of the spirit which yeah god help me i long since forgotten because it's been 30 years since I read the New Testament, but I know it's in there, right? It is. So you're going to demonstrate these fruits of the Spirit. How, in wokeness though, I mean, in, in, in faith, all right, I was kind to people, I helped people, I didn't, I didn't yeah. insult people, I wasn't mean to people, I, I treated my wife with respect. How do you do this in wokeness? I mean, what... What what today qualifies as demonstrating the fact that I'm I'm woke? It's joining their group and yelling at everyone else. It, I, you know, you've seen some people actually. They made people bow down and right. and re- repent, quote unquote, for their racism. And then what? And and then they like have to join the group and fight actively fight against you know racists. I guess be a part of the group. It's mob mentality. Well, in some years ago, there was a book. God help me. I've forgotten the author's name. I had it written down. Rod, you know, I write stuff down all the time. I, I mean, do. We were talking about this earlier. And for the love of me, I don't know where I put that. That's, that's why I have to get a book to write this stuff you, down. You have in to get a journal. Yeah. It's, I mean, literally, if you could see my desk right now, it would be, it would be embarrassing. But the, and there's papers strewn everywhere, and all of them have one or two sentences written. So I wrote this name of this book, something about cults. It's a, it's a pink book, textbook. It was big in the 70s and 80s. Um, and it was a description of all the different cults. Okay. And it was, it was intriguing, and it was controversial because there were what you would consider to be mainline faiths in this book described as cults. And then, and then you have the element of, well, it's really just the author's opinion of those because yeah. there really isn't any definitive, you know, definition of what is a cult versus what is a faith. Many times the Salvation Army has been accused through the years of being a cult because of its, let's just call it authoritative top-down management style, sure. which has sort of faded into the, into the past. The, the weird clothes we would wear, the uniforms. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to tell you about, my dad got moved to Ogden, Utah in 1979 okay i've spent basically my whole life in colorado around other salvation army kids because everywhere in colorado there's other salvation army units and then we get moved to ogden utah which is not a hotbed of salvation armyism and (laughs) to say the least and i have to go to the local high school which is fine i mean i don't mind that except that there's a big cultural difference between Colorado and Utah. And when you're a 15-year-old teenager in high school who's already a band geek to begin with and a Star Trek nerd to second that, you got enough strikes against you already. You really don't need your picture on the front page of the damn newspaper at a Salvation Army open air. No. (laughs) You just just open air meeting. This is where we go down on the stridewalk and we preach to the drunks to get them saved because, you know, I yeah. got to get saved. And so <laughs> I really didn't need my picture on the front. It's not like I was having enough troubles already and getting uh, Merry Christmas, ready for Christmas. Um, now I had that on top of it. So <laughs> at any rate, 
the the Salvation Army at times has been called a cult because of those kinds of things. Do the people in the Salvation Army think of themselves as a cult? No. Do I think of them no. as a cult today? No. But there are activities that are systemic to cults, one of which is a constant, constant haranguing that you're not good enough yet. Yeah. If you just do a little bit more, maybe then you'll be acceptable to whoever it is that decides what you're going to be. In the church, maybe that's the core officer, the pastor of the church. Maybe yeah. it's the bishop, the divisional commander. Maybe it's God himself. And yes, I said him. You don't like it? Tough to hooties. But, <laughs> but you get where I'm driving at here. Yeah. And this is, this is one of the things that drove me nuts with, with my own youth faith traditions was this constant get to the altar, get saved, get to the altar, get saved. Why? Wasn't it good enough once? I mean, that's what we sing in our songbooks, that it was good enough once, and that's what yep. we preach. That's what one of the, was it Paul wrote? You know, it was good enough once. Why, why do we keep having to repeat it? What, what are we trying to accomplish here? What are we, and as I got older, what I realized is that there was a fundamental lacking of certain knowledge that had disappeared along the way, right? And this is my personal opinion. For those of you in the Salvation Army that are still listening to this, the Salvation Army forgot what it was. And coming out of the holiness movement, the Wesleyan Methodist holiness movement of the 1800s, they forgot that the movement wasn't about getting people saved. Yeah. That, was, that was secondary. The movement was about becoming more perfected, holy as the term goes. Yes. Okay. And everything became about getting people saved. The number, because we had a statistic, Rod. How many people got saved? <laughs> Seven, 17. And if that number wasn't big enough, you got a letter saying, why aren't you preaching the gospel? <laughs> because there's no stat line for how many people are living holy lives. Sure. I mean, how would you know anyway? You wouldn't. And when you start getting into this wokeness thing, there are stat lines for how many people rioted, how many people froze their Instagram account or put a black square up. There's, there's numbers for that, yeah. but there's no numbers for, okay, what did you do after that? Yeah. There's no way to quantify it. What did you actually change? Nothing. A lot of that's virtue signaling. Well, <laughs> could you not say the same thing about meetings of faith meetings at times? Uh, yeah. How hard well, did you, it's the cartoon, you know? New guy, advanced guy, really advanced guy singing, you know, with the yeah. arms at different levels. And <laughs> isn't it the same thing? I'm not there trying are... to embarrass you. I'm not putting you on the spot. I'm no, asking no, no, no. So, I mean, so there are people that genuinely worship. They're not paying attention to how, how high the arms are raised and things like that. There are people that are genuinely there in the moment. Um, but there are, there are, the human nature is such that we're going to judge others, right, by what we see and their behavior. Okay. So what could be done then on a faith level, if you were the pastor king for the day, what would you do to change that? Could um, you change it? I don't. 
I don't know that you could change it without some type of, I mean, you, you would have to apply some pressure, emotional pressure, something like that to try and force, force things the way uh, you think they should go. There's also, um, I mean, not force it. That's if you're, if you're intelligently are thinking it through and you're trying to create this situation versus someone who is genuine and authentic. But it's, it's one of those where, yeah, it's, you would have to structure the conversation such that you're trying to lead them to a certain conclusion. Which is right back to what we're talking about again, isn't it? Yeah, it is. This were, these were, in all, in all honesty, and, and I wasn't planning to go this way, which is another thing we talked about this morning. Sure. This was one of the things that I struggled with for so many years. The, the reconciling of what I'm seeing with what I'm being told. Okay. In Christianity, there's a lot of discussion about blindness. Right. Okay. He's blind and it's almost, it's always seen almost as a, as a negative, right? Mm-hmm. You're blind. You're not seeing the truth through the set and the other. One of the things I appreciate about Judaism is this. I'm showing Rod Talit. Okay. Are you familiar with what this is? Mm, go ahead and enlighten me. This is me. called a prayer shawl. Okay. Okay. Now, most Christians know about this thing because... Jesus criticized the Pharisees. Your tassels yeah. are long. Your okay. fringes are wide. Why don't you just go into a closet and pray? Sure. Which somehow or another seems to have gotten forgotten, hasn't it? Yeah. Jesus, the guy that Christians purport to emulate, said, go into a closet and pray. Yeah. Not, not the, in front of people. Not the 50-yard line. Well, in Judaism, and again, putting aside his criticisms of the Pharisees, which were not about the prayers, they were about the hypocritical behavior outside of that. Once you put this on during prayer, guess what you can see? The tassels? I don't know. Nothing. Nothing? I don't know how you wear it, so I mean, (laughs) he's going to show me now, so... Okay, and is he's he okay? So he's draping it over his head. Okay. All right. Yeah. So it's it's almost like blinders in a way where you're, it all you could see would be anything that's directly in front of you, which I'm assuming is your Torah, your, your siddur, your prayer okay. book. That's prayer it. Book. Now, I can tell you that I've been to more than a few services, and I've seen people. Dressed to the nines. I've seen people who weren't dressed as well as I was. I've seen people that were wearing blue jeans, people that were wearing slacks. But I'm telling you, the heart of the service, and there's a lot to a, a Jewish prayer service, but the heart of the service is what we call the Amidah, the standing prayer. It is remarkably similar to our Father who art in heaven. Okay. But longer and more complex. <laughs> uh, which makes sense because in the first century of the common era, there was no Amidah. It was developed later on. Okay? okay. Now, when you're doing this with this on and your prayer book in front of your face and your, your gut, you, you are focusing on yourself and God and no one else. 
And the way we've done it through the years is you stand, this is silently done, maybe talking to yourself kind of quietly. Sure. Okay. But you sit when you're done and the rabbi waits until everybody is seated. Okay. Which could be five minutes, could be 20 minutes, could be an hour, but we wait until everyone is done. I don't, there's a, there's a certain level to me in that of what it's supposed to be that I never found in my time in Christianity, my time in Christianity. And this is my personal opinion. So if you don't like it, well, deal with it. But everything in Christianity to me was showmanship. I mean, it really was even in the Salvation Army where we had to have bands that played, you know, certain ways. Um, there are, there are units where the band, our orders and regulations say that the band leaves the podium, leaves the platform after the first congregational song to set the mood. And even that becomes a show as the band marches down, you know, it's like, could we do this in a less obvious way? I'm not being critical of things. What I'm saying is the relationship focus between me and God is my wokeness. And there's no way for Rod to know what that is. There's no way for the rabbi to know what that is. When you get into a cultish type position, when you get into a cultish type discussion, hey, Rod, are you saved? (laughs) How do you know you're saved, Rod? And you've got to tell me. How are you woke? Are you woke, Rod? How do you know you're woke by my standards or in reverse by his standards? And this is the problem with wokeness as a faith, as a cult, is that there is no end game. There is no, there's nothing to relate to. No. There's nothing to reach for. There's no end goal except what? Destruction of everything. Well, it's, it's power over others. But it's also the destruction of everything for those that are quote unquote woke. It's the group. It's that mindset. It's those group, the group people. Well, that's the problem. That are, you froze on me. Sorry. Yeah. You froze on me. So at at any rate, the, in in faith, that, that person that you're trying to please, that person that you're trying to do all this for is supposed to be the Lord God almighty. Mm-hmm. It ends up being much lower on a level, much lower than that as a general rule of thumb. And I, and that's what turns that into cult when you're trying to please that person, Jim Jones, yeah. instead of, instead of God. And I, I've said this on many occasions because I've been, uh, one of the things I don't talk about is my, my path to faith. I have been attacked by people I went to seminary with. How can you believe that? Well, how do you know God didn't appear to me in a burning bush and tell me what I needed to believe? Yeah. How do you know that didn't happen? Well, because God doesn't work that way. Really? Because I read that he did. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know my path. I don't know your path. But it becomes this this like check mark thing where we have to do certain things. And wokeness, the cult of wokeness is the same way. You have to declare your anti-racism. You have to change your profile picture. You have to follow yeah. the lead. You have to 
do certain things or not do certain things. God help yeah. you. If, I mean, I, I wonder now, Rod, I mean, one of my favorite things in the world is 1970s funk music. I love 70s funk music. Yeah. I feel like now if I'm listening to 70s funk music, somebody's going to accuse me of cultural appropriation. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I'm, I'm going to say, play that funky music, white boy. That's exactly right. Funk you up. <laughs> Get the funk out of my face. Get the funk out of my face. God, I love that stuff. Those bass lines, those guitar lines. Fantastic. Anyway, oh, yeah. point being that in all of this, what we're seeing in my view, and perhaps Rod's view, I'll let him share that with you, uh, is, is a replacement of religious faith with a, for lack of better phrase, a political faith. It that is. is based solely on the idea that your behavior has to equal the behavior that we have approved today. Because tomorrow it might be different. Tomorrow something else might be might be unwoke. Yeah. And it never ends. There's no end game. Normally in faith, it's, you know, the end goal is, okay, when I die, what happens? I mean, this, this really, why bother with all this if there's no, nothing at the end, right? Yeah. What's the end of, of wokeness? We all sing Kumbaya? I, it doesn't seem that way. You know, there's, it's like, it's just like this constant state of being, it's here and now, you're either with us or you're against us. There is no, I, I don't know what the end game is other than they're trying to just deconstruct and destroy everything. And control. And control. Which is the number one characteristic of a cult. Control. The more control they have, sorry, I'm folding up my sitter and my talit, and I don't know why. Uh, the more control they have, the better this whole thing is, right? Yeah. That's the theory. And that's why when you see things like woke Jesus, which was the story that really started all this and we never even got to. No. But when you see something like woke Jesus, you have to ask yourself, okay, why is this happening? What's What's the deal here? What's... What's going on? Yeah. And I don't know. My faith is what it is. Rod's faith is what it is. Your faith is what it is. And if you don't agree with us, DNR at the Dave Bowman show.com. Let us yep. know what you think or comment on Facebook. Cause we would love to and me. We and me. We individually, well, or yeah. we, we don't have a me. We page yet. We don't. I mean, that's a Group. question we were going to ask, right? We need to. So I, I've moved almost all of my social media stuff to me. We, I'm still on Facebook. I'm not boycotting, but everything that you see on Facebook from me is actually cross-posted from MeWe. Facebook is no longer yeah. the source of my stuff. And we don't have, I, I do have a, a plausibly live group because you can't have pages on me. This is the difference. You can have groups, but you can't have pages. Pages you have to pay for. And I'm too yeah. cheap to do that. So um, there you go. Uh, but I do have a group. But, but we don't have a group for DNR. And so we're going to throw that out there. Should we? It, how many of you would follow that and participate in it? Not just follow it. Don't just, don't just say, yeah, we want that if you're just going to go look at it. If you're not going to participate, yeah. don't waste our time. Sorry, I don't mean to be mean, but <laughs> if yeah, we're going to well, do the work. I, I, know, I know at least one person would, uh, Patrick Krebs, who's on MeWe. He'd be there. Which is probably why he's the winner of the Patrick Krebs Memorial Listener of the Week Award. Again. That's correct. Yes. So, anyway, one person. 
That's one. <laughs> All right. The rest of you, you'll need to let us know. DNR at the David Bowman Show.com. And yeah. we'll, uh, we'll tell you what we're going to do next week. We'll decide. We're probably going to do good. it. Probably going to do it anyway, but, you know, yeah. there you go. It's Rod Bow's Beer of the Week. Keeping it local this week, uh, I went to Dying Breed Brewery on my birthday, and I had a seasonal ale. It's an Oktoberfest, so it's that's the name of it. It was really, really good. It's nice and tasty, but I'm going to encourage everyone to, uh, wherever you are, find your local microbrewery, or one that's close to you, and if they should have a seasonal ale, get it, try it, because those things, of course, they're seasonal. They're not there for very long, but... The Oktoberfest Ale, uh, I guess it's ale. I don't. I didn't write it down, but Oktoberfest <laughs> from Dying Breed Brewery. <laughs> yeah, our local brewery here has one seasonal ale. I haven't tried it yet. Yeah, because they make a the Ridgetop Red is what they're most famous for, and that's that. I could drink that. Yeah, but you know me, and there you go. I'm trying to decide where I want to go next because I'm looking at the clock going, I know where one of them is going to take us. So let's let's go to the bench next because that's (laughs) probably going to be about all we got time for. Okay. What you watching? You said I was going to be surprised or uh, well, not surprised. Yeah. But. So, you know, keep in mind that binging, uh, binge watching in my house is usually a, a two-person effort. <laughs> so we ended up watching or started watching the Married at First Sight series. Oh, I hate and, you already. And it's actually, it's, it's fascinating because the psychologists put these people together and it, it's them trying to, you know, they get married and then they're trying to figure out the relationship. And it's just, it's just kind of a fascinating fishbowl type of experience. You're watching these people deal with coming to grips with when they're married and they're trying to really date for the first time. It's, it's just, it's an interesting thing. That's the show my wife was watching with the no. gal that screams at the other guy. You're just into vanilla, van, white vanilla or vanilla Caucasian vanilla sex. <laughs> yeah that's right which is still one of the greatest lines i've ever heard on a show that i just uh, yeah women love it though it's it is i mean it's fascinating and women are a huge advertising group they are except for we're watching this on sling and the only it's it's kind of funny because my wife was complaining the only commercial that we get for watching this the back yes. episodes of the show is a heineken ad yes. it's so funny and it's every every ad break it's just this one ad I've I've noticed that if you don't have the live versions, like you have Hulu, but not yeah. the live version, or Sling, and not the the, the ad choices tend to be pretty weird. Yeah, <laughs> and they're very limited. They it's almost worth the live TV just to watch the commercials again. Jeez. <laughs> so I didn't watch a lot of shows this week. I, I a lot of baseball, obviously. Um, sure. We're back in football season, so a little bit of that. But I watched one particular show, which is only one episode. But I watched it four times. Does that count as a binge? I think it does. It's an hour and a half long. It's a film on Netflix, and it's called The Social Dilemma. Hmm. And in this show, which is... Rod and I were having a talk before the 
thing about the difference between a podcast and a radio show and, and, and the likes of, this is a radio show. This is a movie, not a documentary. Okay. Because it, it, it intersperses documentaryism with live action here. See, watch, watch a drama of what we're talking about. Sure. Okay. Okay. They could have done without that. The documentary part was disturbing enough. It just, we're talking with former executives in the world of social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the likes of that. And they are talking about how social media has changed human minds. Yeah. The guy that invented the like button, thumbs up, Facebook like, yep. when they developed that, and, and really, how many of us have ever thought about what, what does it take to make a like button? I mean, how hard is that? When they made that like button, they had to come up with a philosophy of the like button. What, why are we doing this? Yeah. And the answer was to spread positivity. If people like stuff, they'll feel better about themselves. And they never considered the opposite side of that. That if you don't get the like, yeah, you're not going to get the dopamine. And as they pointed out in some of the stats, if you happen to be a preteen girl and you're not getting the likes that you think you deserve, suicide rates have gone up 150% since the invention of the like button. Not since social media came around, but since the invention of the like button. That's frightening. It's horrifying. And it's, but you're dealing with people who, now again, because it's this docudrama thing, I think it loses some of its impact. But it was intriguing enough that I watched Again, as I said, I watched it four times because each time I went through it, like the movie Airplane, I yeah. see something, hear something new, and guess where that goes, Rob? To your <laughs> piece of paper that's, I wish I had a notepad. I, anyway, the, the frightening thing here is we fear AI. Because we believe AI is sometime going to become, somehow we're going, to, going to become sentient yes. and Skynet is going to take over everything. And what we don't realize is it already has. Yeah. Facebook. Now let's just talk about Facebook. Let's not even talk about social media. We're not even talking about the internet. Let's talk about social media. Just, just Facebook. Facebook, for most of us, particularly in this age, in the listening audience of this show, has somewhere between five and ten years of data on you. Yeah. It knows everything you clicked. It knows everything you liked. Even outside of the That platform. is correct. Anything that you went to. If Facebook is running, it knows about it. Okay? It knows how long you looked at something. It knows what you looked at. Speaking of religion. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So uh, point being that it knows how long you looked. It knows everything. And it is designed, the algorithms in Facebook. See, we talk about this. I only see 25 friends, blah, 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 BS, right? Yeah. And we talk about, well, it's, it's hiding conservative stuff from me. And we never stop to think about the logic of that. Conservative stuff is what's going to get you to click on it to get you to eyeball the ads. 
Why would they hide that from you? And Facebook knows this. Their algorithms are designed so that they show you what is most likely to engage you, including running A-B tests on you. Sometimes they will show you stuff that they know you won't like, but they want to see if you'll click on it anyway. If they take something that you don't like and they change the wording of it, will you click on it now? What ads can we show you in this? Now, this upset me, Rod. I got to tell you, this, this program, I found it disturbing on a lot of levels. And not just the statistics about suicides and depression. I mean, sure. that's bad enough. But the idea that AI, Roku's basilisk, is already manipulating me. Because I think of myself as a very independent thinker. So I came up with this brilliant idea. I'm going to do an experiment. And I created a spreadsheet. It's open now. And every, every time I go to Facebook now, I write down the top five things that it shows me. Okay. Because I want to see what is it showing me. And then I realized I couldn't do that because I have modified Facebook. I don't know how yes. many of you know this to show me certain things first. Like, for example, my newspaper of record is Stars and Stripes. So Stars and yeah. Stripes always shows first in my feed, no matter what it is. It could be an article yeah. about, you know, some guy mowing lawns in Okinawa, and that's what I get. So in order to make this work, I'm going to have to go back through there and take all of those out of those. Yeah. So then I thought, well, let me go look at the news feed, because there's a timeline feed which we yeah. mistakenly call newsfeed. And then there's a newsfeed, which is actually news stories that Facebook thinks you will, if you even look at it, I don't know how many of you do, um, what, what will you look at? And so, well, maybe I can do it with that. And literally, everything I'm seeing, even from CNN and Washington Poe, WAPO, everything I'm seeing is coming from a... I mean, it's, it's all political stuff that, that supposedly I would be interested in based on this 10 years of data of me. Yeah. But almost all of it is written with, well, Trump says he will move without delay to Phil Ginsburg's seat. Headline. Yeah. That's something that, based on my reputation, my scores, my algorithms, would intrigue me. Yay, Trump's going to fill that seat. But what if that headline said... Trump threatens to move without delay to Phil Ginsburg's Supreme Court seat. Yeah. Would I be more likely to click on that? Or would someone else be more, who, who doesn't like Trump? You see what I'm saying? Someone, yeah. Uh, here's the second one. Trevor Bauer continues trolling Astros. I hate the Astros, as you know. There you go. So am I likely to click on that? And by the way, Trevor Bauer was one of my fantasy pitchers, carried my team for years. How does it know that? Yeah. Trump WeChats, uh, Trump WeChats curbs halted by judge free speech concerns. Yeah. Facebook knows that I hate WeChat. It, it knows that I don't use TikTok. It knows all this stuff, right? But what's something that really matters to me? Free speech concerns? Yeah. How many times have I posted about Donald Trump not understanding free speech? Oh, yeah. Blood amber fossils 
are ethical minefields for scientists. You, you dinosaur guy. Jurassic Park. Yes. I love Jurassic Park. I could watch Jurassic Park every day and never get tired of it. Even though I know, oh, science has moved on. But I'm like Alan. I'm a digger. Yeah. And I love dinosaurs. I have a website that I'm not going to tell you about dinosaurs. And my, it's where I, I, I have a lot of websites that are basically just information storage containers sure. so that I can put stuff. It's a shelf. That's what it is. Yeah. So my little dinosaur site has all these dinosaur papers on it that I can read at my convenience instead of having to go find them or print them out or whatever. It's like a, it's like a notebook where I can write stuff down. Hey, yeah, yeah. Um, a leader of all humanity, Justice Ginsburg passes away. That's got to be a B test because that's not some, do I think that Justice Ginsburg, is, have I ever said anything that would make anybody think that I thought of Justice Ginsburg as a leader for all humanity? So they put that up yeah. there knowing that I'm not going to click on it. Yeah. But they need to know that. And this AI that Facebook is using, this algorithm that they're using, that's just me. That's one go this morning. Yeah. Imagine that. How many times do we look at our phones every freaking day? I got my report this morning. You know, they send you that FaceTime report, screen time report. Yeah. Rod, you know what mine said this morning? My average for this week, average. Ben was in school. He was doing daily Daves. Yeah. My average, 10 hours and 32 minutes of screen time. Okay. Do you understand what that means? I mean, for I sleep week? for six hours, average per day for the week. I sleep okay. six to seven hours a night. You're on your phone a lot. Yeah, I am. And what's that doing to my brain? Yeah. Why am I on it so much? Now, in fairness, probably six to seven hours on any given day, probably three hours that is watching a baseball game. Okay. Or playing my golf game, which I bought so I don't get ads. At least Too five to ten that. minutes of that is uh, of your time is us texting. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> but we get this little ding, ding, ding. We had a Zoom meeting yesterday. We had a Zoom get together after after our subvets meeting, and we had one guy that was on his phone and didn't understand yeah. that he needed to he needed to turn that off. <laughs> ding. And of course, every time it does that, it shifts to speaker view. Oh, yeah. Ding. Ding. <laughs> God, that's why I hate Zoom. At any rate, here's what I've done. I, so I've got this spreadsheet. I'm going to track this for a couple of weeks. Okay. Just to kind of give you, just to kind of give myself an idea. Because this, this, this thing is AI, and it's already manipulating you. It's pervasive. It's, it's, it's invasive, pervasive, and it's, it is affecting how you think. You know, one of the common questions that we ask each other, I've said this on my show, how can two people look at exactly the same thing and come to two different conclusions? What's different about them? And it's the realization that 90% of Americans are only getting their information from social media. Yeah. And they're not seeing the same thing. 
We all assume that if it's Yahoo News or Washington Post, it's going to be the same. And it's not. So how do we determine what's true? Because we assume that what we're seeing is true. They assume what they're seeing is true. And we can't agree. How do you, how do we manipulate or how do we navigate our way out of difficulties if we're operating on not just different sets of facts, but different sets of facts that have been intentionally presented to us as facts, different from what somebody else is being presented as facts. And that's what Facebook is doing, folks. Yeah. The other thing I did was I turned off all notifications my phone does not ding anymore. Okay. And I'm going to see the difference because I, I know that, I know I do this every time it dings. Well, let me, let me backtrack. I've left one notification on text. So my text program that Rod, that yeah. Rod sends me texts on because I kind of need that. It's kind of job related. Um, <laughs> but the rest of it, I've turned off. Turned off Facebook, turned off Twitter. Yeah. Turn, I even turned off MeWe. I turned it all off. Snapchat. Which I only, the only reason I have Snapchat is because my son can use it as a phone to call me. Because I'm not ready for him to have a phone yet. Um, And I want to see what that average screen time does. Because 10 hours and 32 minutes a day is too much. Even for somebody like me who, who thinks of myself as being capable of independent rational thought and able to discern truth from lie. So... I, this this program again it's called the social dilemma you can see it on on netflix it's about an hour and a half long and again it is a docudrama so you get and it is definitely slanted uh towards the idea that that conservative groups are the danger as opposed to woke liberal groups they're not the danger so the, there is some slanting in it, and i don't want to mislead you but but they interview these people that actually built this thing to do this and I guess subsequently to it had moral or ethical concerns and indeed expressed in some cases those moral, moral and ethical concerns. And then guess what happened? They was woke, but what changed? Yeah. Which is what I think about the cult of wokeness too, Rod. We think it's all about power. We think it's all about, you know, control. But how much money is involved in this? Yeah, that's a good question. How much money are people making on being woke? Seriously, who stands to profit from that? Well, don't we ask this question about people like Sharpton and Jesse Jackson? Right? Do they really want to solve racism? Because if they solve the racism, what happens to their jobs? Yeah, they're out of jobs. If everybody is all of a sudden tomorrow wakes up and magically uni- grows unicorn horns and narwhal tusks and wears pink tutus and sings Kumbaya, and we're all anti-racist, what happens to all these college professors telling us and teaching us that we need to be this, that, or the other? What happens to all these grants that are going to these organizations fighting racism? Yeah. And just like Facebook, they need that ding. Ding. Yeah. This is the this is the outrage of the day. Ding. This is the this is the news of the day. Ding. This is why you should be mad about those people. Ding. 
oh, and by the way, <laughs> we just made three or four cents from you clicking on that. Yeah. Which Marshall used to say, don't click on that. Yeah. I'm not preaching. I'm not telling you you have to do it. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm I, gonna... just looked, I just looked at my screen time over this last week, and it ranged anywhere from an hour to four hours was, I think, the maximum that I saw in, in one of my days. Hmm. And what do you do in that four hours? Um, how, well, much of that, I'm, how much of that four hours is social media? I, I'm guessing, honestly, that about a quarter of that time is I'm in the restroom. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's acceptable to me. I'm okay with that. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I mean, it's kind of replaced the book, hasn't it? It has. See, I, I was, I found myself wondering about that yesterday, right? Because I bought a bunch of books this week as a happy birthday to me. Um, but I bought them all on Kindle. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, what happens, what happened to the book? I mean, I got yeah. thousands of books in here. I get the convenience of the tool. I get it. Yeah. I get the good things that Facebook has done for me, but is it worth the cost? That's the, that's the question. What is the cost? What is the price we're paying? What's the ROI? Yeah. What's the return on investment? Well, and then there's the whole secret, you know, it's, it, it's listening to you because those ads change when your conversation brings something up that, yeah. Right. You're talking about something you've never talked about before with somebody, and now you're seeing ads for it. Right. Well, there's them algorithms. Yep. <laughs> Alexa, are you listening to me? I only listen after you say the wake word. To learn more, visit Amazon.com slash Alexa privacy. Wake word. Just so you know, I can help if you ever misplace your phone. Try asking me to call your phone. Alexa knows where your phone's at, Dave. Wake. Woke. Yeah. Hmm. I'm Dave. I'm Rod. And this has been... Do Not Resuscitate. <laughs>